Well, hello everyone online via the World Wide Web. It's great that you could join us today during this time of lockdown. We're grateful for the technology that allows us to connect to you and for you to connect to our risen Lord in the words of his Holy Bible. And thank you, Sonia, for today's Bible reading taken from Luke 6 as we return to our series in Luke following our recent series in Proverbs. I'd encourage you at home to have your Bibles open as we explore the truths that God is teaching us in this time we have together. So let me pray as we begin this exploration. Almighty God, as we open your word this day, I pray that the words you have given me to say might be accessible and acceptable in your sight and that those here present via the World Wide Web might have ears to hear and hearts to obey. For we pray it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Now, if you were to read the whole chapter of 6, Luke, you would see that the Bible translators have helpfully given us headings, each one of which would be a self-contained sermon in and of itself. So I have chosen the final section of the passage, verses 43 to 49, as our sermon roster for this month says that the general heading is Jesus and wisdom. Now, as I hinted in my preview, in recent weeks we've been looking at the early books of Proverbs and so I'm going to posit the following comment as our starting point that links directly back to Proverbs. Wisdom is a who more than a what. Now, in Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, we read, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So I contend that wisdom is more a who than a what. Now the scriptures tell us that Jesus is wisdom. Many biblical scholars agree that Jesus in the Proverbs is simply wrapped around his flesh. They are animated and fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth's ministry here on earth. Jesus lived the Proverbs for us. Friends, because of him, you who have accepted his saving grace and acknowledged him as Lord and Saviour are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only the Lord. The Proverbs fill in the blanks for us in Jesus' life that the Gospels didn't set out to give us. We don't have to wonder, what would Jesus do? The Proverbs tell us. They show us what he did. They show us what he didn't do. The Proverbs give us an insight into Jesus' faced everyday matters of life, therefore discipling us into our everyday lives. The wise life is to have proverbial righteousness of Christ 
play out to the very edge of our lives. Isn't that reassuring, even in these days of pandemic? You know, wisdom is not street smarts or some pumped-up morality. It's not knowledge to win trivial pursuit. If we want to know what perfect wisdom looks like, there is one place to look. The Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Hebrew word for wisdom basically means skill. It's used to describe skill in war and art and craftsmanship. An American evangelist wrote in the 1980s, the wisdom of Jesus Christ is like a press conference in which Jesus answers all the questions about God and salvation that the disciples could think of. The scripture also reveals to us that God spoke of secret higher teachings to the disciples in his appearances to them after his resurrection. These are not necessarily reported verbatim in the Gospels, but I humbly suggest were inspired by the Holy Spirit as the Gospels were in fact written. So what did Jesus teach about wisdom? Well, it's a simple answer. Wisdom is listening to what Jesus says and then doing it. In today's passage, Jesus tells his followers that a wise man builds his house on the rock of strong foundation. In verses 46 to 49, there are many places in the Bible where Jesus is called the rock, the foundation of our faith. As we scroll through the scriptures, wisdom is associated with attributes such as unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential self-knowledge, self-transcendence and non-attachment and virtues such as ethics and benevolence. Now, I would humbly suggest that this reinforces my basic premise for today, that wisdom is a who and not a what. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, the word of wisdom is a spiritual gift. The function of this gift is given many different ideas by scholars and theologians. Many see the word of wisdom to be a teaching function. The gift is closely related to the gift of the word of knowledge. But this is not how it should be constrained. We already have the perfect definition of wisdom and have no need to redefine it any further. It is Jesus. His lived experience is all of the above, is it not? We're being told by Paul in Colossians 2, that you'll see on the slide, that everything we need to know about the Father and how to properly interpret reality and live to his glory is accessible to all believers in his Son. The Bible commentator Matthew Henry observes, the treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. Yet the wisdom and knowledge of in Christ is hidden to the world in a different sense. 
The Apostle Paul elsewhere speaks of wisdom of Jesus and his cross as foolish to the fallen humanity. Not because the idea of atonement is too hard for people to grasp, but because they lack the moral ability to see themselves as the world and God sees them. Apart from divine grace, the scripture tells us that people cannot rejoice in the cross. The means whereby the Lord atoned for our sins, he maintained his righteousness and absolved his people Unless the Spirit opens the eyes of sinners, they remain blind to the truth and the sufficiency of the gospel. Don't trust what I'm saying. That quote is from Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. If you're familiar with your Bible, then you would know about the famous Sermon on the Mount. But here in Luke 6, we see chronicled what scholars call the Sermon on the Plain. As I mentioned in my opening, time does not allow me to explore all of the parables that appear in the Sermon on the Plain. And so I focused on the last two in chapter 6 in the time remaining to me. So in verses 43 to 45, we read the parable of the tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In summary then, you can't hang figs on a thorn bush or grapes on briars and pick them and pretend that somehow these are a natural product of those plants. Hmm, interesting. But what does it mean for us today? Well, you can play the part of a Christian and go through the motions but you're not a Christian unless you're connected to the true vine of life, Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when I was a child, I decided to play a prank on my younger brother. He was a genius, but very gullible. We had a choco vine growing across our back fence, and Mum brought home a lovely big bag of beautiful green grapes. The choco vine had no chocos on it at the time, so I snuck out and I hung the grapes strategically across the vine, called my brother and cousin to come and see what had happened. Thankfully, my cousin saw the prank immediately and didn't give it away. So my brother picked one of the bunches of grapes from the vine and rushed inside to tell mum. Well, you know what came next. Yes, that's right. I learned some wisdom for my troubles of a very different sort. But of course the parable was telling the people and the disciples then what is still real today. We might become a member of a church family. We might be even begin to branch out and produce great runners on our vines saying, look at me, I'm a Christian because I belong to this church or that church. Look at me, I'm a Sunday school teacher. 
Look at me, I'm a member of a church committee. Look at me, I'm a church officer. I'm part of the music program. I've become a deacon. I'm even a minister. But if we do any or all these things, we may only have an outward appearance. Nothing may have changed inside. However, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we have a real change begins to take place in our hearts and reflect in our lives. A transformation, a new creature, old things are washed away and behold, all things become new. Folks, if we are truly saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross and begin to follow him who saved us, then, unlike the false show of the world, there will be fruits that begin to show in the change in our lives. As followers of Christ, we are known by our fruits. And what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now you can pretend by an outward show to be a changed creation, but you cannot produce these fruits without the transformation that will take place in your hearts as you trust in the wisdom that is Christ Jesus. Now it's been said that we should not be judgmental. We shouldn't try and determine whether a person is a Christian or not, but I would suggest to you that you couldn't fool the keeper of the vineyard. Someone that knows grapes can tell whether it's from a true vine or from a choco on the fence. You see, folks, your fruits will find you out. The old saying, you can fool most of the people most of the time, but you'll never fool the Lord of the harvest. Our Saviour can see into your heart and knows who you really are. We looked earlier at the characteristics of wisdom, unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential self-acknowledgement, self-transcendence and non-attachment, and virtues such as ethics and benevolence. Your character will give you away if your life is not bearing the fruits of the Spirit. So I pose the question for you today. If Jesus were to return this very moment, would you be ready to meet the Lord of creation? Only you can answer that question in your heart this day. You know, wisdom is a Christ-empowered skill to live for the glory of God. We cannot live wisely without him. His cross, his resurrection, his Holy Spirit will empower us and it's the only way that we can become biblically wise. This is the grace of wisdom. In Matthew 12.42 we read it's a gift, a fruit from the gospel, freely given to us by Jesus himself himself. 
He is the sage of sages. He is the wisest of the wise. He is greater than Solomon. Now, my prank against my brother was childish foolishness. But if we hear the word of God today and choose to ignore it, where does that place us? Many will not want to hear this, but we stand condemned by our inaction if we refuse to take up the offer of grace that Jesus extends. I said in my opening statement that I believe Jesus lives the Proverbs through us. The Proverbs are not problematic for us. In Galatians 2.20 we read, we have the risen Christ at work in us. Yes, the Proverbs go against the grain of our flesh, calling us to humility and away from pride, calling us to think before we speak and act. The bar was set extraordinarily high, but Christ met it. And now we can live out the wisdom of Proverbs, the righteousness of Christ, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for the good of his pleasure, as it says in Philippians 2 verse 13. Finally, from today's reading, we hear the familiar story of Build on the Rock, a song that many will remember from their Sunday school days. There's a little earwig that'll stick in your head for the rest of the day. You're already humming it, aren't you? In the opening of these final verses of our passage, Jesus made a distinction between those who merely make a verbal profession of faith and those who actually both hear his sayings and do something about them. This warning of Jesus applies to people who say, Lord, Lord, and yet their spiritual life has nothing to do with their daily life. They go to church, perhaps they fulfil some religious duties, yet sin against God and man as soon as they walk out, just like any other person in life. We might well find ourselves calling them hypocrites for their actions, but it's not our place to judge, for they will have to stand before the judgment seat when nothing is hidden, and the Lord of Lords may well answer, I never knew you. In Jesus' final illustration of the two builders, each house looked the same from the outside. The real foundation of life is usually hidden and is only going to be proven in the storm. The great theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, The wise and the foolish man were both engaged in precisely the same vocations, and to a considerable extent achieved the same design. Both of them undertook to build houses, both of them persevered in building, both of them finished their houses. The nightless night, the likeness between them, is very considerable, but... Friends, whenever we come across a but in Scripture, we should be sitting up and taking special notice. 
And so it is here. We read this familiar story and see that the building with the solid foundation stands firm against the storm. The building without a foundation just collapsed the moment the torrent struck the house. Jesus is warning us that the foundations of our lives will be shaken at some time or another, both now and in seasons of great difficulty, just as we continue to face the Delta strain lockdowns and ultimately as we stand before the judgment seat of God. Friends, it's better that we test the foundation of our life now rather than later if we find ourselves before the judgment seat, it'll be too late to change our destiny. You know, in Numbers 23 we read, merely hearing God's word isn't enough to provide a secure foundation. It's necessary that we are also doers of his word. If we are not, we commit the sin that will surely find us out, the sin of doing nothing, And Numbers says, and great will be our ruin. While for us today we should be serious about the buildings where we spend our short years on this earth, we should be even more serious about where we're going to spend eternity. I pray today that I have helped us to see that Jesus is our wisdom. And in his grace, he freely offers it to us. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Proverbs 8, verse 17. If we go to Jesus for help, we'll not find a cold shoulder. We'll find nothing but love. Jesus sits on the throne of grace, not waving his fingers or... No, nothing but grace. In Hebrews it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Proverbs are the practical righteousness of Christ. His life played out for us through his sanctification. Wisdom is not a nebulous concept. It's not ancient advice for lives long lost. Wisdom is draped in Nazarene flesh. Wisdom is the ancient of days. And now by the gospel of grace, Jesus is our wisdom. He is our righteousness and our sanctification. And the people said, Amen. So as I conclude, I found it hard to write an appropriate prayer. So bear with me as I pray. Lord, how do we summarise the needs of prayer currently? Will it be with a dashing of faith and hope in every sentence? Lord, some parts of the world are in extreme turmoil with chaotic scenes unfolding in Afghanistan. My mind churns, wondering how it must be to be a parent in that country. Then I think of families in New Zealand who have, until a week or so ago, felt that they had crushed the virus but now find themselves in lockdown. 
I think of our home, Australia, the vast country that it is. I know that parts are business as usual, while others wait for daily COVID totals, wondering if the people in their state will ever wake up and take the virus seriously and stay indoors. With summer break concluding on the other half in the Northern Hemisphere, in Scotland and England, children will return to school. There'll be an adjustment to something like a new normal life. Within all these locations, there is a need to navigate the changes that exist for the future. The world is in the midst of that storm that will challenge us all. A need for calm and peace, Lord, rather than fear a need for those who are Jesus' followers to reveal their faith to those around them. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might give us all the courage to speak up for the fount of all wisdom, Christ Jesus our Lord. For our broken and divided world never needed a saviour more as we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. 